Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm going to hand it out early, and this will make sense. But I said last week I've got a gift for you all. So just take one and pass it around. You might cringe when you see it. But take one and pass it around. What? Oh, sorry, Quill. Can I grab one for Quill? WWJD. Get a black one for Quill. Yes. <laughs> That's his brand. WWJD. I bet some people are like, this is taking me back to the 80s. And it's terrible. Some of us weren't born in the 80s, so we can't be taken back there. I, so my mate... And this is not, this is not um, the main, well actually it is kind of the main thing of my, um, my message today. My mate rocked up to my house, or he rocked up to like a guy's knife wearing a WWJD bracelet. And I was like, one, that's terrible. Two, I want one. So, so I, went on, I went on Amazon and I bought a hundred. So it's... Um, <laughs> What did it stand for? I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian, Lisa. <laughs> so, uh, I actually don't have one. So WWJD, who wants to tell Lisa what it means? What, 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 would, Jesus what would Jesus do? <laughs> Sandy, could you? What colour should I take, Sandy? Green one. Can you pop it on me, please? More colour than So it's... Uh, uh, do it. What swap would Jesus do? I'm sure he'd do, he'd do the, the most complete spot. I don't know. I don't know how to make that funny. Um, WWJD. What would Jesus do? All right, now that you have it, let's move on. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll come to it in a tick. We've been talking about Rabbi and Talmudin. Can you chuck the, uh, the slides up, please, Quill? It's all right, Quill. He's just admiring his bracelet. And so, do what Jesus did. It's not WWJD, but it's do what Jesus did. And if you've been part of this series, what we've been talking about is we've been talking about the idea of being a rabbi, sorry, a Talmudin to a rabbi, which basically means an apprentice to a master teacher. Because Jesus is and was a rabbi. So when Jesus was, he was actually around my age, I reference that quite often. So I'm the perfect age for a pastor, apparently. We were just having a conversation about the 60 plus is the best years of your life. So I'm not there yet. So I'm just living in in between. But basically we're talking about Jesus was a rabbi in in his time. He was a Jewish rabbi. And he had what was called disciples. Or a better way is to describe his Talmudim which translates well to the word apprentice. And so if you have an apprentice, say like an apprentice to a plumber, Sparky, I know that you're doing an apprenticeship at the moment, Dan. You know, are you still doing it? Oh, cool, that's good. (laughs) Just to check. You know, you do an apprenticeship, you learn under someone, you look at, you go and study what they do, you study how they do it, you go and you learn. And so 
We have been invited by Jesus to be his apprentice, to follow him. And so when you are invited to follow Jesus or follow a rabbi in the Jewish um, tradition, there were three things that you, three goals you based your life around, which the first one was to be with your rabbi, which translates nowadays through the Holy Spirit, we abide in the vine, John 15, we abide with Jesus. Second week is to become like your rabbi. Nowadays, everyone's told just to be yourself. I saw this video and someone's like uh, telling a whole bunch of teenagers, just be yourself. And it's funny because a lot of us don't actually know, and a lot of teenagers, I remember when I was a teenager, I was like, I have no idea who I am. It took me until 25 to figure out what I was doing. And then I quit a degree that I was fully invested in, that I got debt for, because I just thought I needed to do something. And then all of a sudden I figured, later on in life, I was able to figure out how I would become like Jesus, or to become like my rabbi. And so the third goal that we're talking about is, and what a rabbi, a Talmudin would do to their rabbi is do as they did. So basically a, a rabbi back in the day would be like, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to uh, speak to this crowd or I'm going to hand out food to this crowd. I'm going to pray for this crowd. And you're basically saying, all right, my goal is to then one day do as he's doing. Do as he did. Hence the... WWJD. So if if a rab uh, Talmudian looked at their rabbi and said, they'd be like, what would Jesus do? They'll just look at him and be like, that's what he's doing. I'll I'll follow that example and I'll do what he did. And so for us, what we have is we are in a world, a culture where so many things are vying for our attention. Can class, did you did you rock up here this morning? with the only thought on your mind is, I want to know what Jesus is doing so I can do what he's doing. Is that, can you say that that was the main thought on your mind when you rocked up? Some of us probably rocked up and were like, I've got a bill to pay. I don't like this person. <laughs> I shouldn't have eaten that food last night. I don't like this person. You know, it's like some of you probably rocked up with a different thought on your mind. But when you... When a rabbi, a Talmudim, an apprentice, apprentices to their rabbi, they're looking at their rabbi constantly saying, what are they doing? So we're going to talk about, in the final part of this, our three goals, how do we do as Jesus did, or how do we do what our rabbi is doing? Because, as you can tell, my rabbi is not standing next to me. I can't look at the physical things that... Jesus is doing, but through the Holy Spirit, through, through faith, the Spirit lives within me so I can be guided by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Do you want to know what, how to do as Jesus did? Sweet. Let's go to the Bible. Who likes the Bible? Good. I'm an ESV man is the superior version. Sorry, Kate, you're an NRV person, aren't you? You can't rest. It doesn't matter. It actually it kind of doesn't matter. Matthew 8, Matthew 4, verse 18 to 25. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Andrew was the first disciple to bring someone to Jesus. That's, that's a different account. This one's a different account. I'm just claiming that Andrew is the best disciple, basically. His brother cast his net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were fishermen. They were not Talmudim. Talmudim went through a rigorous process, lifelong training to become a Talmudim, to follow their rabbi. Fishermen did not. They were fishermen, not Talmudim. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Fishes of men is not a cheesy pun, but it was actually an idiom that was used back in the day to describe a great teacher because I will catch you, I will captivate you with my words. I will captivate you with teaching. So when he says, I will make you fishes of men, they're like, what? You will make me like Tony Robbins? Or you will make me like, who else is a great speech writer that in church? Someone in church is, I will make you like Jesus. Pastor David Storer. And he went through all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Oh, sorry, I, I jumped ahead. Immediately they left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee was their father mending the nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and the father and followed him. How disappointed would you be? It's like you got a busy day out on the water. Then all of a sudden, your son's like, so yeah. I'm off. Anyway. And he went throughout all of Galilee. Next slide. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You have to understand that no other rabbi did this. Every other rabbi had went, uh, went out and they taught the law. They taught the Torah, which is the Old Testament. No other rabbi went out and started healing people, seizures, paralytics. No other rabbi went out and brought people from sickness to health physically the way that Jesus did. So then in chapter 5, 6, and 7, we, move, uh, we read, before we jump into our next passage, something called the Sermon on the Mount. And one thing you have to understand about a rabbi is a rabbi had a yoke. Who's heard that term before, a yoke? My burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke, we often uh, compare it to um, uh, two oxen plowing a field, an older oxen and a younger oxen, the older oxen teaching the younger one their ways. That is exactly the picture of a rabbi in Talmudin. The yoke, though, was actually also interpreted as someone's interpretation of the Torah. So he had a yoke that he went about and he said, this is the way that I've interpreted the Torah. So even back in the day, in the Old Testament, people still had different understandings of it. You know, we looked at like different preachers online and were like, yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong. People would have been doing this from the beginning of time. We haven't found just a common teaching. But this is where Jesus has come to say, and actually, no, this is the way. This is the manifesto of the kingdom. This is the way that we live in the kingdom of God. So that's uh, Matthew 5-7, the Sermon of the Mount. 
as something there called the Beatitudes, which is a, a good book to read. But we jump past that to Matthew 8, verses 18 to 21. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That's quite an intense scripture. One thing you want to understand about burying the dead back in the Old Testament was that it was a massive, massive process. Like months and months of mourning, preaching, months and months of, not preaching, sorry, months of um, rituals and traditions that they would go through. It wasn't just like, all right, we'll go have a funeral like we do nowadays. We say our respects and then we go back to normal life. It was, you put your life on hold for a funeral back in the old in the Old Testament, the biblical times. And so what we have here is basically a man saying, I am willing to follow you on my terms, at my time, when I'm ready. It's not, it's not a scripture that we use to say, who cares about your family? That's not the point of it. The point of it is the timing more so within it. The point of it is he's, using, he's saying, I will follow you when I'm ready. I don't know how that, does that arrow hit you in the heart today? I will follow you, God, when I'm ready. I'll follow you when things have lined up. I'll start living as your Talmudim and living the way of, of the kingdom when I've got the finances or when my mental health is right or when, when I'm, I'm feeling better or I feel like I've got time and space. You know, so often what we say is that to follow Jesus, I need to be in the perfect situation. It needs to be, everything else needs to be out of the way and I just have to clean on at it and then I can give you my best, God. But God's saying, your best is whatever you give me. Right here, right now, in your broken state, follow me and when you follow me, everything else will line up. So then we jump down to Matthew 9, 9 to 30. There's a lot of Bible in here, and I hope you're not upset about that because it's a good thing. But then he saw a man named Matthew, a tax collector, sitting at the tax collector booth. So if you're you're new to the New Testament, a tax collector was essentially the dregs of first century Jewish society because he was a Jew that worked for the Roman Empire. So he was basically, the Roman Empire was the oppressor of the Jews. So a, a kind of first century equivalent is like a Jewish informant in Nazi Germany. I know it's quite intense, but that is, we need to understand that the disciple, who one of the disciples called Matthew, was despised by the people that Jesus was going to reach. So... He was the worst of the worst. But we read in Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Jesus passed from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house behind, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. It's funny that tax collectors and sinners are lumped together in one. That's a very interesting observation. And they were reclining with Jesus 
and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So point being, some of the people who follow Jesus are really messed up. Need of healing again to act together. Hands up if you feel a little bit messed up. I feel a little bit messed up. I do not have it all together. I did not have Jesus as the only thing on my mind rocking up to church today. I'll admit that. There were other things on my mind. I had moments during the week of weakness, moments of mental breakdown, moments of emotional overwhelming. I'm a little messed up. And you're a little messed up. But the calling of Jesus does not stay the same. Because if he's willing to call Matthew the tax collector, you are called as well to follow, to do as he did. And then Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This word send is synonymous and can be translated with the word missionary. And missionary, we've got a bad rap. Some missionaries have a bad rap. Why when? We all know a YWAMA who's kind of been like, uh, we all know a YWAMA who would be like, you're great. But missionaries, is always like, oh, they're just trying to steal my money. They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. And we've kind of put this idea of missionary into a, a bad frame of mind. Whereas mission and missionary is actually just one who was sent by God to join in the kingdom a work of Jesus of Nazareth. So when Jesus is saying, I need more missionaries, send more workers, he's basically saying, you are a missionary. You have been sent. Wherever you are. I was thinking about this yesterday or today, and I was like, if we're, if there's not a church, we're one of the few churches that are in the Hilton area. If we decide that we'd rather go somewhere else and be planted somewhere else because the, the church might grow exponentially, we go to different suburbs, or whatever you want to say, who's going to be a, sent to the neighbour across the road? Yes. Or who's going to be sent to the, the neighbour at the Hilton Primary School? Or who's going to be here to actually just be in this place? You have been sent somewhere. Wherever you are, locally, you have been sent there. You have a home there. You live there or you travel there as a worker, as a missionary of Christ. Be present. See what's around you. The local church needs you. 
Then he goes to Matthew 10, 1, and he called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Come on. These 12, Jesus sent out with him with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you pro- go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those over that proceed, drive out demons. Freely have you received, freely give. That verse, chapter 6, you need to go in and do a bit of study of that. Because Jesus was called to the Jews, but we have been called to the Gentiles and the Jews. That's what Paul's ministry was, was primarily <laughs> to the Gentiles. So for us, it's a very, do a study on it. Don't, don't hold on to that part of it. I would say hold on to what he is saying. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, so forth, so forth. And then Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This is the final verse. The Great Commission. Come on. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you, I am with you to the very end of the age. Did you see a pattern in those verses at all? Because there is a pattern there, and I'll explain it to you. First, you have Jesus come on the scene as a rabbi to teach. But he's more than a rabbi. He's also the Messiah who's come to usher in the kingdom of God. And then he calls, early on, he calls apprentices and disciples. He says, Peter, Andrew, follow me. Let's let's do this together. You are part of my team, my squad, whatever you want to call it. You're, You're my disciples. And they follow Jesus. But when I say they followed Jesus, I don't mean that like they followed him on Instagram or they came to church on Sunday and attended a connect group every fortnight Wednesday. They literally lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, spent time with Jesus. They gave up their whole home life to spend the every waking minute in the presence of this rabbi. They started to copy the example of Jesus' life and adopt the practices such as prayer, memorizing the Torah, practicing the Sabbath, and living in community. As they adopted the lifestyle of Jesus, they were changed. And if you see at the beginning of the um, of discipleship uh, journey until the end when Peter was called the rock, you see there's a massive change in Peter. Even though he's still a bit of a loose cannon, there is a massive change. And then there comes a moment where Jesus says, actually, you guys are ready it's been a little while. See that sick woman over there? You got the Holy Spirit? Go pray for her. Andrew, see that demonized man over there? Good luck. James, I want you to head to Corazon and preach the gospel. Then come back in two or three weeks and let's debrief. So we see there's a one, step one, step two. Then the third step we go into, and the fourth is that the apprentices go out and preach the gospel and the kingdom of God, then come back to debrief with Jesus. And then there's a point where Jesus says, actually, now go, I'm going to leave. You go, I'm with you forever to the end of the age. And the Holy Spirit comes with us. 
So there's actually four steps to this. This is something you want to write down. Stage one, I do, you watch. I do, Jesus, I'm going to do this, you're going to watch me. This is leadership development. This is one-on-one stuff. This is the stuff where you're like, ah, that's how you talk nicely to someone. That's how you don't, how you handle that situation. Stage two, I do, you help. Jesus feeding the 5,000. You realize that when Jesus fed the 5,000, who handed out the bread? The disciples. I do, I'm going to do the miracle. You're going to help me see the miracle come to, to, to fruition. Step three, you do, I help. So now it's your turn. Go out there. This is my advice to you. This is, then come back to me and let's debrief. And I can, I'll help you debrief, do better next time. Stage four, and this is the stage that we're actually in. You do, I watch. Woo! It's changed. It's gone back to front. Go and make disciples. I am with you until the end of the age. You do, I watch. This is the exact same pattern that we see Jesus map out one story at a time. And it's this really simple idea that we, we miss you are on an apprenticeship journey to do as Jesus did. Maybe you are in the stage four. Maybe you're in a different stage. I don't want to put you in a stage or categorize you. Maybe you, you're, you're all of those stages, depending on how you feel that day. But we are on a journey. To do as Jesus did, we are on a journey. But there is a journey that we go through. As we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus to do as Jesus did. You need to go through that process. We are talking just before, you know, as you get older, there's wisdom that you gain. And you, you gave me some amazing wisdom that I didn't even realize that I needed. And if I am expecting to have wisdom now at the age of 30, that I'll get in later time of my life, I'm not gonna go through these things and journey with my rabbi to actually gain that wisdom, to see it happen. That's why we need to, we need to honour the, the older generation constantly, the spiritual mothers and fathers. Thank you for going ahead. Thank you for what you passed down. Also, please pass it down. If you have any wisdom, please pass it down. So we can actually then break down the works of Jesus into about 10, 10 categories. Next slide, please, Quill. Preaching the gospel, teaching the way. Teaching the way is a very interesting statement because we hear the verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, if you break that verse down, you can actually put a comma after the way and break that as I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way in Acts 2 and 12, they refer to the disciples of God as followers of the way. The way is, we always think, oh, this is the way through salvation. Yes, yes, that is the way. But the way is also a way of living in the kingdom of God. Watch me, do as I did. I am the way, which is the truth and the life. Wow. I am the way, watch me, be with me, abide with me, and I will show you how to live in the kingdom of God, the new reality. I will show you. I am the way, preaching the ways, preaching, teaching how to live 
in the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people far from God. This is big. If you want to start anywhere and you don't feel too eloquent with your language, have some friends over and eat and drink with them. Doing justice, peacemaking, pr praying, prophesying, standing up against religious and political corruption, and all of Facebook says, Amen. So if you're an apprentice of Jesus, your end goal is to be able to do all of that. He feels like they, they've done all of that. He feels a little overwhelmed looking at that list. Like I was saying, Jesus did all these things, and it's going to take you time maybe your whole life to do these things and you may never do it but Jesus did and what we have to understand is that whenever we say Jesus did this thing this is a common argument or misconception is that people say well Jesus was God you know that's how we did it well, Jesus was God and yes 100% Jesus was God unequivocally biblically it's very true but what we have to realize is that Jesus was fully human. Philippians 2, 5, 11, that he put aside his divinity, basically, and taken on the form, formu, the shape. He was, it's actually contained, we were contained, restrained by the human form. So he couldn't do things because the human sinful form contained him. It's a really interesting Bible study. What's interesting to me, but like, it's very interesting if you want to go and research that because what we've been taught over the years, so the, through the Enlightenment era, the 300 year, years, Enlightenment means the age of reason, I think, therefore I am. It's this way that we've, we've gotten away from uh, hard and fast truths and we've gone into a place where my truth is the truth. For the last two to three hundred years, people have read the Gospels of Jesus not as a template for how to be human, but how to confirm that Jesus was God. So we just need to shift our mentality a little bit. Yes, Jesus was God. Yeah. If you don't think that, it doesn't change the fact. What will change the way that you think about the Gospels if you is if you believe that he was fully human? Because if you believe that he was fully human, that, that makes you realise that actually the natural world and the supernatural world, they're not two separate ideas, but actually we live in a place where miracles can happen today. I can live in the freedom and the guidance of the Spirit. Who wants to see? Let's go back. This list here. We would take so many things out of here. We would go maybe, I'll do one and two, then we'll jump past three and four, then I'll spend a lot of time on number five, then I, I'm going to do six, I'm going to do seven, yeah, seven, seven. Like, I'm like, when people get in arguments, I'm like, no, stop. You know, it's like, I, I can do that. I did that the other day. I pray all the time. I'll jump past nine, because I don't even know what it means. Then they'll go ten. I'm going to get on Facebook later, and I'm going to tear down Skyman. Yeah, it's like, you, you think, all right, I, I'll divide the categories here to do the things that naturally I can do, whereas Jesus is saying, no, there is not this separation. The natural and the supernatural world have converged in one through the cross. 
And now we are filled to, uh, with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can do things that Jesus did and greater. Woo. So people said, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher, but he was not the son of God. And the comeback of the church was to highlight the miracle stories. If he wasn't the son of God, but look at this. The problem with that line of thinking is that the disciples did miracles as well. And they were human. Moses parted a Red Sea. He was human. Elijah and the widow, the oil, he was human. We can go, just go back. Look at anywhere in the Bible and there are so many miracles that were done. Joshua and the sun standing still. Just so many miracles and they weren't God. The, the argument wasn't there. That's basically saying, I want to say to you today, you can do all those things. You can do all those things a little more easily, a little bit more confidently. But you can do all those things today. You can go from this place and you can start to preach the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus. But we live in a very, very complex and challenging culture. Because you've got to understand that Christianity is not actually the main culture anymore. Things have changed, the tides turned, and um, even the Australian census, less and less people are saying that they're Christian. More and more people say, I'm spiritual, I'm religious, but less and less people are saying, um, I'm Christian. Even less and less people are saying, I'm a follower of the way. Actually, no one is, because it's not on there. So what I want to do is I want to give you four brief thoughts to help you move from being overwhelmed by this list to being empowered to do what Jesus did. Because we've got it on our list, on our wrist. The list can be done by looking at our wrist. I just made that up. You can't tell. Teaching, practice, community and the Holy Spirit. This is what I preached on last week. You're not going to figure it out on your own. Nobody is good at hearing and preaching the gospel from the start. We can't do it alone. I am not the world's best preacher, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. And I'm going to get better. Because I'm going to listen to other people who are going to criticise me in love. And I'm going to get better at preaching and teaching and all these different things. No one starts off well. I remember I did like a preaching over in England at my Bible college there. And I remember I got recorded and I watched myself back and I was mortified. Absolutely mortified. Because I thought I was pretty confident. I thought I, I could communicate well. I saw it. And I, I didn't mark well. Nowadays, I'm getting more confident within my teaching. And I feel like even, even if I sit at, the, at a hairdresser, I can explain the gospel to them easily. Because it's not just about the pulpit, but it's about life. Do you feel confident in that? And we can't do it alone because it takes the Holy Spirit being central to all we do. He has a part, we have a part, but he is right at the centre. That, that quote, without us, you won't do it. Without him, we can't. Without us, the Holy Spirit won't do it. Without him, we can't do it. We have a part to play and God has a part to play, but he is always the foundation and the centre. So it is by the Holy Spirit 
that we do teaching, practice, communion, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so it's by that, and it doesn't, it's not just going to happen overnight. We need to know the Spirit to know the fruits of the Spirit. Stage two, know your stage of discipleship and season of life. We had a funny conversation at um, our Young Family Connect not long ago, and we're talking about how do I follow Jesus with two annoying kids? How do I follow Jesus? You know, there are three stages of apprenticeship. Be with Jesus, become and do. But it's not a three-step formula. Because you never graduate from being with Jesus. So don't see it as a formula. See it as a completion, as something that every part needs itself. When you start to adopt the practices as you follow Jesus and live with Jesus and like Jesus, you start to become like him. So we need to uh, do the practices of Jesus. And you lean into what you usually what we call the spiritual disciplines. So like community, prayer, Sabbath, silence, solitude, um, teaching, all these sorts of things. And you start to orient your life around God. And you start to cultivate a lifestyle abiding in the vine. Out of that, you start to experience the love of the Father through the Holy Spirit. And if you adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, you get the life of Jesus, which produces the fruit of the Spirit. But you never graduate from either one. But you need to know in your life, where do I need to focus myself? Where in my life do I need to focus Maybe I just actually have to spend a lot more time with Jesus right now. Maybe I don't have the gumption or the character or the, the ability to go and do as Jesus as much as I'd like to do. Maybe you just need to spend so much time being with Jesus. Do you know Paul in the Bible? We, we talk about Paul. He, he was blinded by a light on the road to Damascus. And then we're like... Paul then wrote half of the New Testament. And he was a missionary to all these, he started all these church plants. You know, it took three years after Paul had that experience to then go and talk to the, the church fathers and say, hey, is this, I'm doing this. Is this right? And then it took 14 years for him to actually go on his first missionary trip. There are stages to your discipleship and you need to recognise it because if you don't recognise it, the practice of preparation is so central to your being. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. Did he do ministry on the way? Yes, but intense ministry, no. Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three. He recognised his season as stage in life. But even in those three years, there were seasons where Jesus would go away for 40 days and pray. Even in those three years, there were seasons where he would fast and pray. Even in all that was going on, he would need to be with Jesus. You never graduate. It's not a three-step formula, but you need to know and uh, discern in your life what you need right here and right now. Where God's calling to you. So maybe you, if you're a parent with kids under five years old 
you're not really in the place where you have a day off just to go and pray for hours. You can't preach the gospel because you're trying to preach food into your kid's mouth. You're trying to make them sleep. You're doing your best to survive sometimes. Maybe what you need in that moment is to actually just read a psalm. Maybe in that moment you just need to have a phone call with someone, community. Know your season of life. I say my season of singledom as a young 20-year-old guy, I did so many things. I was doing so much for the kingdom. Does that mean I'm doing less now? No, it just means I'm in a different season, different stage of my life. And raising my kids, being the best husband I can be, is actually central to the kingdom. Know your season, know the stage of your discipleship and lean into it. And if you ever struggle, here we go. If you ever struggle, and you're like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough in my season, you hold up this up and say, what would Jesus do? What would he be doing? And I have a little little thing. Uh, I think I put it up there. Next slides. No, don't worry about it. WWJD hyphen A-H. What would Jesus do? Ask him. Just ask him. What would Jesus do in that situation? Just ask him. Number three, do not underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus in community. You know, one of the biggest things that we have to understand is that community is central to the gospel. If we ever try and do discipleship and practice the way of the kingdom outside of the church community or community of believers, we will we'll be a, a flash in the pan. We will burn out. Because we have been told to journey together, to be the church, because people are looking at us and they're being compelled by the way that we live. And if we don't live together, we can be, we're isolated and separate and we fall into ways that aren't central to the way of Jesus. Dallas Willard says, there is a special evangelistic, the quote there, special evangelistic work to be done and there are special callings to it. But if those churches really are enjoying fullness of life, evangelism will be unstoppable and largely automatic. The local assembly for its part can then be an academy where people throng from the surrounding community to learn how to live. It will be a school of life for a disciple, uh, school of life for a disciples, but a pupil, a student. But all aspects of that life seen in the New Testament records are practiced and mastered under those who themselves master them through practice. Only by taking this as our immediate goal can we intend to carry out the Great Commission. You know, people are wanting to see a community of believers who are alive, who are willing to live the way of the kingdom, where there's life coming out of it, where you rock up and there's not anxiety, bitterness, fear, where people aren't tearing each other down, but they're wanting to come from far and be like, what are you doing that's different to what I'm doing? Why do you live according to the gospel, the way of the kingdom? How are you different to me? And why are you giving life up for that? And the only way we can do that is if we live in community. Community, I explained, is not just your friends that you choose, 
A community is the people that God has brought together to sharpen each other, to, to expose and encourage each other, to have the older generation talk to us, wisdom into our life, and actually say, hey, Andrew, you know when you said that? Yeah, that was wrong. Or, Andrew, you know how you reacted that way? Actually, Andrew, you can do that better way. It's like there is a way of community that actually allows us to show Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus together. Start with basics and do it together. And the last thing, living in the moment. If you think about that list, preaching the gospel, teaching the way and healing the sick, all of that is an interruption to your daily life. Not everyone's going to say, all right, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to set aside this part of my day to do this. A lot of us have jobs, families, things we need to do. If you actually look at the life of Jesus, a lot of what he did was an interruption. Jesus walking through the crowd and a woman grabbing his cloak and saying, heal me, Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, I'm going somewhere, but hey, I'm aware of what God is doing right now, aware of what the Spirit is doing. It's an interruption, but your faith has healed you. Or Jesus, when his cousin was beheaded and he was mourning at the top of a mountain, he came down and then all he saw people and was filled with compassion. That was an interruption. That wasn't, Jesus had not planned that. The interruption for him was that I am going into all the world and I am seeing things that actually pique in my, my interest and gaining my attention. And am I going to be present enough to do something? You know, the, the line, go into all the world, can actually be translated as, as you are going. So it says, go into all the world, make disciples. As you are going into the world, make disciples. AKA, we're meant to be in the world. We just need to be ready to be interrupted. I know that language might be a little bit like, oh, that's kind of just new school, kind of fancy and whatnot. But it is a truth that... A lot of what Jesus did was an interruption. The Roman centurion, hey Jesus, heal my daughter. And Jesus is like, you are you're a man of power. You can go and do it yourself. You can say this, you can say that. And he says, but no, you, I need you. And in faith, that daughter was healed. You know, what about that one where he, someone got lowered down from the roof while he was teaching? Jesus didn't plan that. That was a professional interruption. Are you ready in your life to be interrupted? Are you ready to have a moment? I was getting a haircut the other day. I've said this a few times. Getting a haircut the other day. And sometimes I just talk to a lot of people. So I just enjoy not talking to people. I thought I might get away with it here. And then they just started talking to me. And they're like, I saw what you do. I'm a pastor. And they're like, Oh, really? Someone came in the other day and gave me a Bible. And said, someone else spoke to me the other day and they said that they experienced God. What, do you, what does that mean to experience God? And I'm like, all right, I'm here. And I got to share my, my story when I went into a coma. I got to share my story of being a pastor. I also got to share um, with this person that the reality of my 
of Jesus. I was a third person. Are you willing to be interrupted? Are you willing to live in the moment? No matter how complex or challenging your life is in this day or age, no matter what stage of life or season you are in, you can sit with somebody far from God. You can grow and mature and apprentice under Jesus to become what Jesus is all about. You can slow down, open your eyes and see the kingdom of God all around you. What would Jesus do, big fella? What would Jesus do? Let's, let's abide with him and as we become like him, let's do as he did as our life becomes to look like his. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City Podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.